What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Fast Break. I'm Jonathan Hood, recording this at 11 a.m. Central Time on Friday morning, the day after the NBA draft. Ah, and here we go. We know the Golden State Warriors are the champs. We know that we just had the draft, and now we're going to be on the precipice of free agency very, very soon. Fast Break is brought to you by... Neighborhood Housing Services of Chicago. You know, spring isn't just baseball season. It's also home buying season. And Neighborhood Housing Services of Chicago is ready to get you out of that little tiny apartment and into your own home. NHS is your go-to resource throughout the entire home buying process. Free comprehensive home buyer education check. Free one-on-one consultation check. An experienced lending team ready to help you pick the right mortgage check. Go to my friends at Neighborhood Housing Services of Chicago, nhschicago.org today. Again, ready to get into that crib, a crib of your dreams, nhschicago.org for Neighborhood Housing Services of Chicago. So glad that you're with us for a fast break. We're going to hear from our guy, Tyler Aki, from our station here at ESPN 1000, a college basketball guru. He's got his own podcast as well, which we'll talk about in just a moment right here on Fast Break. Well, it's a special podcast. The same what's up to you guys listening on the Cap and J-Hood morning show feed as well. I feel really good about the direction of Chicago Bulls basketball, and here's why. No matter what the Bulls are going to do in the draft, the Bulls already have a team that can get to the playoffs. Now, ultimately, for any team that's playoff worthy, you want to win that Larry O'Brien trophy. You want to be where Golden State was this past season. I totally understand that. But I look at the Bulls from a roster standpoint. Players on the contract, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Io DeSumo, right now Kobe White, DeMar DeRozan, Javante Green, Patrick Williams, Vucevic. You take a look at those players, along with Zach Levine, who I expect to re-sign with the Bulls with a brand new contract. And I think that this Bulls team, as is good enough to, again, get to the postseason, I want to put this in perspective before we talk about Dalen Terry, the newest member of the Chicago Bulls. Do you know the Bulls took a really impressive step this season? They improved by 15 victories and got themselves an outright playoff spot. We saw the Bulls, as a matter of fact, as the number one team in the East for quite a while. But one game after the All-Star break, the Bulls were 39-21, but then they went 7-15 the rest of the way. You know what caught up to them? More talented teams, defense, injuries, and the offense was geared toward DeMar DeRozan's mid-range game, which is not a negative by any stretch because DeMar DeRozan, as you and I both know, was an MVP candidate. Chicago ranked last in NBA three-point attempts. And next to last, it makes. This is why the Bulls need to upgrade as far as their shooting off the bench. Nothing wrong with DeRozan hitting those twos. But in today's NBA, you know it's about multiple players that can knock down the three ball. Lonzo Ball took 7.4 three-pointers per game. And Zach Levine took seven a game. But it dropped off when Ball got injured. And so I believe that the Bulls here in the offseason, free agency, need to be able to upgrade their shooting. But as is, there's nothing wrong with this team being able to run it back with Vucevic, with Levine, with 
um, DeMar DeRozan with Patrick Williams. Ultimately, health is going to help this team. Hell, they were, as I mentioned, in first place for a while, the number one team in the East. I knew they couldn't stay there. There was a quirk in the schedule in which the Bulls earned a lot of those victories on the road, earned a lot of those victories. But you just know that the Bulls don't have Giannis, and they don't have Embiid, and they don't have Jimmy Butler, and they don't have Tatum and Brown, enough to be able to sustain themselves as the number one team in the East. But it's still a good season for the Bulls. Now they've got to be able to upgrade this. And so Dale and Terry comes in, view the draft, and we'll talk to Tyler about this in just a moment. A versatile defensive player, offensive upside coming out of Arizona, um, similar to Patrick Williams. I see so much of a similarity to Patrick Williams in which Williams was at Florida State, and his numbers were not impressive, just like Terry's are not necessarily impressive coming out of college, eight points a game, five rebounds, four assists, but Again, Terry was on a very talented team, and there were multiple players that made a difference for that Arizona team. Same thing with Patrick Williams of Florida State. But I like the ability for him to be a catch-and-shoot guy, three-point shooter, and has a long wingspan. He's just going to plug into what the Bulls already have. It's not about this draft. It's not about the number 18 pick. It's about how this Bulls team can develop and be healthy. How much do they have in that regard? It's not about big splashes and trying to get KD in here and Kyrie. If it happens, it happens. But for this Bulls team, they have to be able to find a way to stay healthy and but upgrade their shooting. As is, they cannot be able to even get close to the Eastern Conference crown without great shooting. This draft was very interesting. We'll talk to Tyler Aki about it right here on Fast Break. And we'll get back to some more Bulls conversation as well right here. On Fast Break on the ESPN Chicago app. Ah, here we are with Tyler Aki from our station here at ESPN 1000. Also, the Made for March podcast. Uh, Look for Made for March podcast uh, as you look for your podcast for college basketball conversation. Tyler joins me here on Fast Break. Tyler, thanks so much for joining me. Anytime for you, Hoodie. I love draft season. I know you love draft season. It's like our two loves, right? The college game and the NBA game, and it meets right here. It really is. It, I, I thought it was interesting last night. I, I mentioned to Cap on Cap and Jay Hood, I thought the, the draft was breezy. I didn't feel like it, it was um, like the NFL draft where it was just seemed like it was arduous. I thought... Malika and and Kendrick Perkins and Jay Billis, they just kind of breeze right through the draft without a lot of, you know, a lot of drama or anything like that. It was just you knew kind of knew where the picks were going to go, and I thought it went well. I'm with you. I, I thought the same thing last night. I was like, you know, this is not just breeze, but it's going quickly too, mm-hmm. like, and that's what happens when you have five minutes for a first round as opposed to the ten minutes that the NFL has. But I, I look at it as it was. Not a ton of surprises in terms of lots of big trades. You didn't really see any big names get moved last night or anything of impact. But you saw some some picks get shuffled around, and there were certainly some interesting things there. But people that were wanting a Rudy Gobert to get moved or <laughs> something of that nature, we didn't really see a lot of that last night. I, and I was totally fine with that. So I want to talk to you through your college of uh, basketball lens more so than even the NBA. So I'll ask you, just based on what you remember, what stood out most about Ben Chero? Because at first, maybe the third or fourth pick in the draft, he comes ends up being number one to Orlando. Yeah, I really liked Paolo's game in college. I thought he was a, he's one of the best scorers that the college game saw last year. And one thing to me 
that I, I was surprised Orlando went with him at one as opposed to Jabari Smith. I think Smith is more of a, a two-way guy. Bancaro's biggest knock on him was he didn't play a lot of defense in college. And I think Jabari's a guy who we didn't see the best of him at Auburn. And it's part of the reason was because of his position. He's a power forward, but he's one of those modern-day point forwards. But Bancaro can score like anyone in the NBA. He's going to be able to walk in and he'll be a bucket with the the Orlando Magic. And, and I mean, Hoodie, we saw our old friend last night, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if only one person can ruin the moment of an 18-year-old kid and his big day, and what do you know, out of nowhere, here comes Coach K in to steal the show for the number one overall pick. I was trying to figure out whether or not I've seen a K stick his beak in there during the draft, and I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. Like I, I understand if it's something that happens on a regular basis. Like I could see that from Calipari. He likes to stick his beak in there if it's him. Right. But I don't remember Coach K just taking over the draft. Like someone has a special uh, message for you, and the mom's like, "What? What? What's going?" And, and it, it is K <laughs> sticking his beak in there because and I'm just gonna tell you, he's gonna be everywhere. He's gonna be in bake sales. He's going to be at, at farmer's markets just sticking his beak in there and put it with a video oh, package. He'll be at practice, too. He'll be at practice. He may even have a seat on the bench, too. Oh, my God. I, that's... Listen, if you're going to if you're gonna spoil an 18-year-old's biggest day of their life, at least do it <laughs> like Bruce Pearl did, right? Yes. Highway ditch, flip cam phone, your burner phone that you may have been using for some, some pre-NIL deals and stuff like that, and just screen character counts a thousand times. <laughs> I love that. So, and Chet Holmgren goes to Oklahoma City Thunder. That was not a surprise at two from Gonzaga. I know many are are looking at his size, but again, if you are weary like you and I watching, you know, West Coast basketball and watching the uh, Gonzaga team go, we know that Holmgren has the muscle and can be able to get inside. I'm just wondering whether or not you feel that Chet will be able to bulk up. If he does bulk up, will his skills diminish? I don't think they will. I think it will only help his game because, listen, he's a guy who, despite his frame, he likes to play physical. He embraces that sort of play. Now, his size maybe prevents him from being as effective as he would like to be, especially once he gets to the NBA game as well. But he's a guy who embraces contact, and I think you're going to see him – he is a guy who spearheads a lot of transition opportunities. I think when you look at guys in this draft who are the best transition guys and in the NBA, which is a largely transition game nowadays, and the ability to shoot transition threes, Chet Holmgren can do it as good as anybody in this draft. And probably once he fills out a little bit, as good as anyone in the NBA, because he's got the ability to handle the basketball. He's got the ability to shoot a transition three, and he can put his head down and go to the rim and dunk over someone too. And that wasn't just against the Santa Claras and the Pepperdines. No, I mean, <laughs> Gonzaga these days plays a Power 5 schedule. They play teams that are – they play schedules that are just as good as Duke and Kansas and all those blue bloods that you traditionally see. So the, I, I think that Chet's going to – I really think all three of these top guys are going to be good NBA players. And But Chet, if there's one guy that people have question marks, it is with Chet, and it's going to be can he hang down low, but – at the end of the day, he's got a really good stroke from deep as well. So I, I think he's going to be a guy that sticks around no matter what. i to tell you something, Tyler. Players like Van Carroll and Holmgren and Jabari Smith, who I'm going to ask you about now, they would be well-suited 
to be able to utilize their wingspan and utilize the ability to, to get it done defensively first. I think that sticks. I think that would stand out to a lot of coaches. Like Jabari Smith is a guy that I remember at Auburn that can shoot anywhere on the floor. Really good perimeter shooter. You know, a, a six seven rebound a, a game guy. I'm sure that could be even greater on the NBA level. You know, given the opportunity. Yeah. But I would hope that these guys that we're talking about with size can be able to look at even defense first to wow the coaches, so that would increase their chance to get more time on the floor. And that's why Paolo going at one puzzled me because when you look at these three guys that went one, two, three, those were, I mean, Paolo's the worst defender of the three. And it's not even close. I mean, Jabari fully committed on the defensive end. Chet fully committed on the defensive end. Paolo, you saw slack off a little bit on the defensive end. I don't know floor slaps out of Paolo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, and if you're Orlando, well, Orlando and Oklahoma City both are clean slates it's uh it's an empty when you look at that team they're just trying to figure out who they are they're hoping to be able to, to stockpile pieces and hopefully for the first two picks in particular that can work out for them right and i look at orlando too you've got some good defensive pieces there i mean it obviously didn't work out in chicago but wendell carter jr is a solid interior presence you've got some sure. defensive pieces um on that Orlando team where you may have just wanted to get the best pure scorer. And I think Paolo can be the best pure scorer in this draft because his game is so predicated offensively. I mean, you look at what his what he can do. He can score at all three levels. He's a really physical guy inside as well. I mean, he's a guy who a lot of people think reminds them of Carmelo Anthony a little bit. And if you're getting a Carmelo Anthony-type scorer at one, you're in a good spot if you're if you're the Orlando Magic. Let's talk about more size with Keegan Murray because he's six nine. Boy, this kid could maybe with a little bit of a growth spurt, maybe it'll be six eleven. But I, you you take a look at that frame, and we talk about the the size, the athleticism. Uh, I thought that from one season to the other, I saw a guy that really improved in Keegan Murray. I wonder how much a, a, of a growth spurt will he have offensively going into the NBA. Well, he took the huge jump from his freshman to sophomore season, mm-hmm. and this is a guy who, I mean, you look at a lot of the Big Ten guys in this year's draft. They're guys who took monster leaps from their freshman to sophomore season, and, and none of them, I don't think, were any bigger than Keegan Murray's, who he was kind of a role player at Iowa, and then all of a sudden became the Big Ten player of the year. And he's just a guy who, he hits big shots, he made big plays at Iowa, and he did it despite the fact that his team wasn't very defensive-minded, defensive-oriented. Iowa usually isn't one of those teams. But he's a guy who went out there and, and really proved himself. And I think that's one of the things that should really intrigue general managers that picked guys that were not freshmen is the leaps that a lot of these guys took, freshman to sophomore. That's tantalizing when you get that into the NBA. Guys who took those big leaps and now can make an even bigger leap. Because you've seen... That's dedication in the gym. That's dedication in the summer. That's dedication to wanting to be the best possible basketball player that you can be. And a guy like Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivey, um, Johnny Davis. I mean, those are three Big Ten guys that went out there and really proved themselves in that second year. And I think if you're a GM, you got to be pretty happy with that because you, you see the dedication in these players. Yes, I, I really enjoy the player, but I love the story even more of Jaden Ivey. Right? Oh, yes. Niall mm-hmm. Ivey, his mom. Uh, uh, former NFL uh, receiver uh, uh, Javen Hunter, I think that's his dad. That's pretty cool, man. I, I love the athletic pedigree. I remember, was that on game day or the college game day with a, spe- a special piece on him? 
I believe I, there was, yeah. Man. And listen, Jaden Ivey, I mean, this is the most athletic player in the draft. Mm-hmm. And, and he's one of my favorites. And a lot of people said, oh, he might slip out of four because the Kings, they've just got too many players and have drafted too many players like Ivey at four that it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to have this, this really compact guard room that there's too much talent almost there. And that's where I think the Pistons got really lucky with him landing at uh, the five spot in this draft because I do think Jaden Ivey's going to end up being better than one of the, the top three guys that went in this draft. Certainly, I think he'll be better than two of the top four that went in this draft. Now, who are those four going to be? Or who is he going to elevate past? I'm not quite sure. But this is a guy who, I mean, you, you think about where where's basketball right now, right? And we saw Kevin Durant tweet it last night. It's a wings league, right? Yeah. If Jaden Ivey was a wing, I think he would have been the number one overall pick. But since he's a guard and there isn't as much emphasis on guards as there is on wings in this era of basketball, that's why he kind of dropped to five. And, like, not to say he's Michael Jordan, but that was the reason why Michael Jordan dropped to three, right? It was a center's game, and Jordan dropped to three. And right now it's a wings game. And that's why I think Ivy dropped to five. You had four wings go ahead of him. I mean, Chet's kind of a center, but he can play the wing if you need him to play the wing. You had four guys that had that style of game. I think another interesting thing, from this draft, I look at the two teams that I think got the absolute luckiest with how some of the board fell. It's the Rockets and the Pistons, and those were the teams that drafted one and two last year. And I feel like they had the the board really fall to them nicely. And don't be surprised if those are the two teams that really spearhead this league moving forward because they got the one and two picks back in 2021, and I think they may have gotten the first and second best players despite drafting three and five in 2022. Tyler, is there someone that slipped that surprised you in the first round? AJ Griffin mm-hmm. really surprised me seeing him continue to drop and, and kind of the centers as well to a degree with Jalen Duran and, and Mark Williams. They both dropped a little bit. I thought both of them should be lottery picks. Now Duran went 13th and his rights are transferring over to Detroit and, and Mark Williams, he goes just to pick outside the lottery, but A.J. Griffin's one that I I was a little surprised. He's a a really strong two-way player, shot 45% from three last year in college, and I think he's going to be a guy that he's got the NBA pedigree. His dad was an NBA player, Adrian Griffin with the Bulls, um, and also an NBA coach right now. He's with the Raptors, and he spent time with the Bulls as well. I just think that's a guy who uh, we're going to be looking back and say, you know, A.J. Griffin probably should have been drafted a few points higher. Uh, Malachi Branham was another guy that I thought slipped a little bit. He goes at 20 to the, the San Antonio Spurs. And then I think the biggest one that everyone's talking about is what the hell happened to EJ Liddell mm. dropping all the way down to 41. I mean, that's a guy who people thought the Bulls might take at 18. I believe his draft order prop was set at 20 and a half, and he ends up going at 41. So that's double that right there. I was really shocked with this. Liddell went back to school to improve his three-point shooting and defense. He did both of the the requisite things to do that and accomplish that, and he still drops to 41. But I think the Pelicans got a real steal there. And a lot of people are saying this could be like Herb Jones, who Herb Jones was a guy last year, goes in the second round. Some people thought maybe he could go in the first round, but he's a really solid two-way player. And that could be Liddell for this Pelicans team. He's going to provide defense. He's going to provide length. I almost look at him as like a a Grant Williams type. He's a very similar uh, mold of him, and I think he plays a very similar game as well. You know, I was let's start and talk about Mark Williams because you just mentioned him just momentarily. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
Tyler, I think that if he has a three-point shot, then maybe he's higher in the draft. But I, And it all depends on what you want as a team, right? If you want someone that could be a potential shot blocker, because looking at my notes, dude's got a nine-foot-nine standing reach. That's 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 unbelievable. That's insane, right? Yeah, because it, right. oh my god! So if that's what you want, you know where that is like the it's like it's Montrez Harrell on steroids, meaning that he, mm-hmm. I mean, he's I mean, a monster. He's got a great motor and can be able to do that as a shot blocker around the rim. Okay, great. I think because of the lack of versatility, I think that hurt him in the draft. I've seen plenty of guys in the G League that are that are very good from the foul line down, but can't shoot from the outside, and it keeps it holds the back. Right. I look at Mark Williams, and he's got like the measurables that you listed off there, hoodie, but. I I really like the way that I mean you look at some of the teams that did well in the playoffs this year they have Mark Williams types right mm-hmm. and he kind of reminds me a little bit of DeAndre he's going to have to improve his jump shot a little bit but if I'm remembering correctly Williams was a solid free throw shooter so the form is there it's just going to be can he step that game back and listen I think the biggest thing with NBA development teams these days is if your biggest weakness is shooting we can we can go in and fix that because that's just getting the gym for a couple of hours and, and over time you can develop that shot. I don't know if we'll ever see him step out and take the three, but if he can get the eighteen footer down and, and listen, the defense is there. There's no questions about the defense. He, he's a guy who he, he's he may end up being the best defensive player, especially on the interior out of this draft. And there's some good ones with Williams, Duran, uh, Chet Holmgren as well. Uh, Christian Coloco as well. There's some really, really strong defensive players in this draft. And I think Mark Williams, yes, he's going to have to stretch that that shot out if he wants to really hit it big. But I think he'll be a long-time NBA starter. Uh, Before I ask you about the Bulls pick in Dale and Terry, I have to tell you, uh, and you and I both texted each other when we saw Patrick Baldwin Jr. go twenty-eight to uh, the Golden State Warriors. Horizon League stand up uh, with uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Now this was a first-round talent, top ten talent before the injury. So he gets yeah. injured. For those that don't know, at Milwaukee with the Panthers, um, his dad gets fired from Milwaukee. Patrick Baldwin's picked up by the Warriors, and I saw that pick, and I go, of course. Of course the Warriors took Patrick Baldwin Jr., a guy that's coming off of an injury. Of course he is. That's a top five, top ten talent, and now he's picked at 28. This whole thing with the Warriors, it is amazing infrastructure how they are stockpiling young talent while they're still winning championships. This is what good organizations do, right? I mean, when I look at this pick here, and this is what the NBA draft is now because there is such great talent in the sport starting at the AAU level and then getting all the way up into the college ranks when you're looking at NBA draft prospects. There are so many guys that go in the second round, that go late in the first round, that even go undrafted that are lottery-level talents, but maybe they just ran into the wrong college developmental systems. Mm -hmm. And that could be the case with Baldwin here. If he had gone to Duke, like, was probably anticipated if he hadn't picked his dad's school, who knows? We may be talking about Pat Baldwin as a, a top five pick. Maybe he goes ahead of Paolo Bancaro. Maybe outshines him. Who knows how it all goes down, right? But I look at this as, I mean, this is exactly what the Warriors need, right? Wiggins will have his time, but he probably won't be back with the Warriors on his next contract in all likelihood. 
But that's where you have these draft prospects. Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and now Pat Baldwin. I mean, this is just a developmental breeding ground. And, I mean, you're looking at the guys who could be the next sort of Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins types without having to go out and pay for an Andrew Wiggins or a Jordan Poole. This is the recycling that good organizations do. Uh, A couple of quirks uh, in the draft. So Oklahoma City takes two Jalen Williams. Yes. You take you take J A L E N Williams. You take J A Y L I N Williams. That's weird. Um, you get the Lakers in summer league get Scottie Pippen Jr. and Sharif O'Neal. You got a scouting report on Sharif mm-hmm. O'Neal? Is he any good? Do you know if he can play? <laughs> um, I don't know if he can play because he really hasn't played the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> he, he's been in college. I, I want to say he came out as a sophomore, um, but he was a guy who he battled some heart issues. So that sort of stunted his growth a little bit and his development. He started at UCLA, goes to, to LSU, his father's alma mater. And I, I don't know. I, I I just don't know. Obviously, the, the genes are working in his favor, but we'll see. I think the more intriguing prospect is Scottie Pippen Jr. That was a guy who, he was a scorer, big-time yeah. scorer in the SEC with Vanderbilt. Didn't have a lot of help around him either and allowed Vanderbilt to play in and, and win some games that they really probably shouldn't have. I'm actually sort of intrigued by that one, the Scottie Pippen Jr. uh, uh, addition there by the Lakers. And I'm not saying he's going to go out and set the world on fire, but there may be a role for him. There may be, and it may not be with the Lakers, but some team is going to maybe find a Scottie Pippen Jr. down the road and, and have some success. Fairweather Heat fans probably were very excited that they thought they were drafting Nikola Jokovic. Um, in, yep. but it's, that was another interesting one. Um, <laughs> the international prospects are always, always uh, funny to me because that's when people really learn about them, right? Is at the NBA draft, and then boom, there's the quick hitting package after the after Adam Silver announces their name. I don't know a ton about Jovic, but I, I do think that with a team like the Heat's, isn't that where uh, they 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 do a great job of develop of developing these sort of players, yeah. right? Yeah. And when you're drafting 27th, you're just playing scratch-offs at that point. And who knows? Maybe with some of these international guys, you find a diamond in the rough every once in a while. I love that. His name, by the way, is N-I-K-O-L-A-J-O-V-I-C. Not not the Joker, but... <laughs> but uh, yeah, Yes, over. yes, that's right. And lastly, Evan Mobley's uh, brother was drafted by the Cavs. I mean, it's... Yes. Don't know why you do that, it, but that happened. <laughs> You got to so, keep your stars happy, right? I guess. So we get to the main event, and here we are, Tyler. So uh, the Bulls and some Bulls fans were looking for some splash, and I'm like, boy, you just don't know Karnaschovas very well. There are, no, there are no splashes coming out of the Bulls camp. Um, Dale and Terry, what do you think of the pick? What was your initial reaction when you saw it? I was surprised in the sense that I thought they would look a little more offensive, but the more that I've thought about it, look at – AK and Eversley's draft history so far, right? It is Patrick Williams and it is Io DeSumo. And then there's Marcus Simonovic in there as well, but we haven't really seen much of him. It's all been defensive based, right? I mean, I think he sees the way the league is sort of acting cyclical again, where defense is important and getting some of these guys that have positional flexibility is important. He's going after guys who have untapped potential ceilings but also have pretty safe floors as well. And I think that's what you find when you go after defensive players like Terry is. 
all-defensive player in the Pac-12 last year. He's a stun on that end of the floor. It's going to be, can he develop that offensive game? And I think it's a very similar pick to Patrick Williams. Mm-hmm. He, they're very similar players, both six foot seven, both really long wingspans there, and both were guys that were integral role players on teams that were one seeds. Or I guess Florida State wasn't a one seed, but they were going to be a one seed had we gotten the, the NCAA tournament that year in the COVID season. I look at what Terry can do defensively is going to keep him in the league for a long time. He reminds me a lot of Trevor Ariza. A lot of Trevor Ariza. And it's going to be, can he develop that three like Ariza did over the course of his career? That's going to be if he can become that Trevor Ariza. But he's going to be a longtime NBA player, I think. He'll fill out his, his body, I think, a little bit. He doesn't have a lot of work to do there, I don't think. But he's a catch-and-shoot guy. The three-point shot kept getting better. He kept improving. But just like Patrick Williams, these coaches had to kind of prod it into him, saying, hey, go be more aggressive. Go be more aggressive on the offensive end of the of the floor. And that's the same thing that you heard with Patrick Williams when he was at Florida State and when he's been with the Bulls this season and the season before that as well. Uh, there was some criticism uh, on Friday morning with my show at Cap where we had a caller say that it that the Bulls drafted something that they already had. They felt like the pick was redundant. I don't agree with that because if, if nothing else, the Bulls really need some defense. And I think it starts on that end. I know that Terry mentioned that he didn't like to be called a glue guy to Arizona until he actually accepted it. And maybe, you know, a, a good, some youth and some defense could be good for the Bulls, couldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, if there's one place you want to be redundant at, wouldn't it be a, a six seven wing with a seven foot wingspan that plays really hard on the defensive end of the floor and really thrives on that end? That's where you want redundancy on your team. And not just that, there's positional versatility with Dale and Terry as well. This is a guy that can play point guard for you. He really can. And we've seen Lonzo Ball's injury history. All indications are, based on his track record, he's not going to play 82 games for you single year he may not even play 65 games for you every single year and having a guy like terry who can take some of the weight off of guys like io and caruso and be that point guard this is a guy that sees the the floor really really well really well and that's something you can't teach and when you've got a guy with a 7-1 wingspan who can see the floor as well as he can and can hit a spot up three i'm intrigued by that towards the end of his his career at arizona state his final so in the Pac-12 tournament and in the NCAA tournament, he shot 60% from three. Now, he doesn't take a lot of them, and that's going to be the next step is can he make them on volume? Obviously, he's not going to be a 60% three-point shooter in the NBA, but can he be a high 30s, low 40s guy in the NBA and play superb defense on the other end? Lastly, tell me why Ty Ty Washington will be a key for Memphis in the next couple of years. Because I think he plays alongside a guy like John Morant really well. I mean, Ty Ty hit some big shots. He reminded me a little bit of, of John Morant. And, and listen, perfect. I, I was I was a little shocked Ty Ty fell as late as he did. I thought he'd be a guy that went early 20s. Um, but he's certainly more offensive-minded than defensive-minded. And But he, he's one of those guys who you, you always hear it with some of these prospects. Get him in the league when there's more space and let him go to work. I think this is one of those guys that that really applies to as well. And he showed that he can play off the ball and be that sort of two guard. I know he's listed as a point guard, but he could be a two guard for you because he did exactly that in college 
alongside Sevier Wheeler at Kentucky, who Sevier was more of a traditional point guard, facilitate first guy, and Ty Ty was more of the, the combo guard type. So I, I, I like the pick for Ty Ty. I was surprised he almost fell into the second round there. Um, but I think that's going to be a really nice uh, addition for, for this uh, this Grizzlies team. I think the Grizzlies actually did a pretty nice job in this draft. I do too. I think that when I saw Washington go to gr- the Grizzlies, they go, boy, that's a Grizzly-type player. I mean, it fits that uh, youthful exuberance, that energy up and down the floor. I think he can be able to work with them nicely. I like that pick. Plays hard. Plays really hard too. I mean, we, we've seen a couple of those guys with Cal, like, with uh, De'Aaron Fox, SGA, like those are guys that play really hard on both ends of the floor. And I think that Ty Ty is going to be one of those guys that he'll definitely help out there. I will say this, the one guy that um, I was I was hoping the Bulls would take mm. was Malachi Branham yeah. at 18. Because Branham, he reminds me a little bit of, uh, of Mikhail Bridges. Mm-hmm. And I think the Bulls could really use a Bridges type because you know what Branham is offensively. He's a guy, he's got length, and for, I, I believe he's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, or 6'5", rather. Yeah. But he can shoot over top of guys, and which is a rare trait that you'll find with guys that are 6'5". He can shoot over the top of some guys that are even bigger than him. And I'm, so, with Branham, I would have liked to, I would have liked that because the offense is a little bit more there, but with a team that needs defense as much as the Bulls do, I mean, I think the perfect way to sum up Dale and Terry is he is the anti-Zach Levine. He is the exact opposite of what Zach Levine is. Think of everything that Levine does well. Terry doesn't really have that. But think of everything that people and Bulls fans gripe with with Levine, whether it's sloppy ball handling, um, his defense. That's exactly what Terry is. So I think the two of them can complement each other pretty well. My friend, uh, last thing I have for you, and I appreciate your time. Back in the day, ESPN2 would have a show in which they'd look at the draft in inverse order, meaning that with a player gone, what does the team look like? So I will ask you, out of all the, especially the top 10 picks, which which team, whether that's Duke or Gonzaga or Purdue, Arizona, Kentucky, Baylor, Wisconsin, is there a team that will be hurt with the absence of a player leaving and going to the NBA? I think there's, I mean, there's a good number of them here. I think Duke's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. They've got a, a top-tier recruiting class. They'll be fine. Gonzaga, they don't have the top, top guy like uh, Holmgren and Suggs that they've had the past couple of years, but they brought back some pretty good players too. They'll be fine, and they got some good transfer, transfers as well. I think Auburn, Iowa, Purdue, and Wisconsin, and even Baylor to a degree, will be severely hurt by this. I, but if there's one team that I think will be hurt more than others, I'll probably go Iowa. Losing mm-hmm. the Big Ten Player of the Year and Keegan Murray. I mean, he's got a twin brother, Chris, that's on that team. Chris is going to need to make that same sort of Keegan Murray level leap. And a lot of people thought Iowa wouldn't be a tournament team last year, but Keegan Murray's emergence is what really helped them become that five seed in the NCAA tournament. So I think Iowa's going to be severely hurt by that just because they're going to be losing a lot of scoring. And then Johnny Davis leaving Wisconsin. Johnny Davis was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic last season. And he was everything for that team. When he wasn't going, that team was dead. Absolutely dead. And without Johnny Davis, that could really hurt uh, the future of the Badgers. And I don't – listen, like, I think Baylor can get away with losing Sohan because Scott Drew's such a great coach. I think Purdue can get away with losing Ivy because they're bringing a lot back. And I think Painter's a solid coach there. But I don't see it with Greg Gard. 
and I don't see it with Fran McCaffrey to replenish some real surprises to that roster. Like, people knew that Purdue would be good because they saw the anticipated leap with Ivy. People knew Baylor would be good because they had just won a championship. People were counting out Wisconsin and Iowa, and when you're taking teams that didn't have great supporting casts and you're taking away a top-ten pick from those teams, I I would say Wisconsin and Iowa are going to be the ones that are hurt the most. Your buddy Jackson Thomas, Buddy Beheim signed a two-way deal with the Detroit Pistons. He's in the mix. Yes, he did. Well, you know why, right? Because Troy Weaver's in that front office, and he was on Beheim's staff for the longest time. And a lot of people think that KG would have went to Syracuse if Troy Weaver was still on the staff. And I think that, I mean, Troy and Jim have a really, really strong relationship um, I think Troy was an instrumental part of why Isaiah Stewart also got drafted there because Isaiah Stewart's a local kid to the Syracuse area, Rochester. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't know what Buddy's going to be in the NBA, but I think the Pistons did a really good job of addressing some needs with getting Ivy and getting Jalen Duran. And, listen, Buddy's just got to go out there and shoot threes. If he can shoot threes at a 42 43% clip, he'll hang in the league for a little bit. I don't know how long it'll be, but... The league's always looking for guys that can shoot at that level. Well, again, Made for March is the podcast. You can find Tyler. Of course, you can find him at uh, on ESPN 1000. And uh, I'm glad that you spent this time with me. This was a party for us last night, watching the draft. The guys that we've spent so much time watching in the college basketball season, now we see them making the big time. And now, you know what? I'm actually looking forward to the college basketball season now because of what you just laid out. What does it look like with Gonzaga without Holmgren? What does it look like for Auburn? Can it get back and win the tough games without Jabari Smith? I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like now. So, Yeah, I mean, the, the preseason tournaments are where you, you really start to see some of these budding stars grow. Like That's where you saw the emergence of a Jabari Smith. I don't think people went into the draft thinking, oh, Jabari Smith would be the number one overall pick, but... You see him go out in Atlantis and ball out the way that he did there. That's where you start to see the picks emerge. And, hey, it's right around the corner, only, what, like four or five months away? Yeah, yeah. I cannot wait, man. I really can't. So, hey, thanks for coming on the show on Fast Break, and ah, looking forward to the season. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Hody. Appreciate it. No, thank you. And and thank you, uh, Santa Clara's Jalen Williams. Boy, (laughs) if anyone looked like Santa Clara, it was just Jalen Williams. All right, good to hear from Tyler Aki. Great on college basketball and everything else at ESPN 1000. Just one stat as I let you go. The Bulls were one of three teams, Milwaukee and Phoenix were the others, that ranked in the top 10 in field goal percentage in the paint, 58%. That was ninth. Mid-range field goal percentage was fourth, and three-point percentage, which was fourth as well. So, interesting stats there regarding the Bulls last year. What can we expect uh, this upcoming season for the Chicago Bulls? Don't forget to keep it locked on Instagram at IGJHood. Tweet JHood as well. Chris Black and I will be back with another podcast talking about the NBA free agency uh, in very short order. But thanks for listening to our draft coverage here on ESPN 1000, and uh, we will do it again soon. Thanks for listening to Fast Break, brought to you by Neighborhood Housing Services of Chicago.